This episode is brought to you by Common Good, a design team on a mission to make the world a simpler and smarter place. How? By taking an approach which puts people at the center of their design process. Common Good are a strategy-led, human-centered design studio, partnering with people and businesses who want to make a positive impact. Want to know more about how they use service and experience design to make sense of the world? Go to common-good.co, where you can find out about what they're up to with partners like Canyon Bicycles, the United Nations, and the UK National Health Service. Or say hello on Twitter, at ComGoodCo. They'd love to hear from you. I want you to think way, way back to episode one. Excuse me, do you mind if I ask you one question for a podcast? Yeah, what's that? What is service design? Service design? You've lost me completely. Uh, Not a clue. Not a clue. (laughs) You want to take a guess? I'm not a clue, I'm sorry, I don't know where to guess. What is Turns out it's not just random people on the street who struggle with this. Us insiders also have a healthy debate about what exactly this stuff should be called. All the debate that I was seeing on the web and also among my classmates at school was making me confused and also mildly stressed out about whether or not I should even have named this podcast at your service. What if the work we're doing is not even technically called service design? Ugh. So I decided to convene a little gathering at the Plot Studio in Hackneywick, London to talk this all through. Our roundtable chat is about an hour long, and it includes UK designers George Oates, Sarah Drummond, Jill Wildman, Nick Durant, and Lily McCraith. Without further ado, here's the tape. I would like to start with everyone just quickly introducing yourself. My name is Sarah Drummond. I'm a designer and I run a service design agency called Snook. Hi. Well, you don't just run it. And you founded it. I founded it, yeah. Yeah, I founded it. And Give uh, yourself some credit. I, I continue to run it <laughs> from the founding. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jill Wildman and I'm co-founder of Plot, which is where we are. Hi, I'm Lily McCraith and I'm a design student at Goldsmiths. Hi, my name is George Oates. I'm a designer as well. Um, and I have a small company called Good Form and Spectacle that does um, digital work for cultural institutions. I'm Nick Durrant, I'm the other half of Plot. Uh, I have three things I normally describe myself as. as an interaction designer, an innovation consultant and occasional professor. So um, you've wonderfully segued into the next question, which is I'd really like to hear from everyone. Um, what do you like to call yourself? So if you're at a cocktail party or, or um, introducing yourself to someone who's maybe not familiar with design, how do you usually like to introduce yourself? Who'd like designer. to go first? I'm a designer. And then also comes that question every time, fashion <laughs> or, or some other kind of similar interior or fashion because I'm a woman Um, and then comes the thing of like oh shit how do I explain it not that but usually with examples but designers at the core I'd say the same I go straight in for I'm a designer I am a designer I studied product design so I feel very strongly that's my skill set and discipline Um, same as Jill fashion is that what you do you go for the what and then I say no majoritively services What's that? Well, service is what we're probably standing in right now and that we bring together the, the total experience of what you, you you see and you use. And then I get asked if it's the website. 
and I go through explaining end-to-end experiences and how we try and design all the parts within that and then we'll end up doing the actual physical things so it takes a bit of explanation I think oh yeah I'm, I start with designer too sometimes I say I'm a software designer um, and you know I joke that I I write what the buttons say <laughs> so if you use things that you like I probably wrote it <laughs> um, but yeah no or interaction designer too I would say or interface designer that kind of thing but uh not as as not as end to end as um, Sarah maybe. Um, yeah, I can relate to what you guys said about being asked what kind of design. Because when I when I say um, oh, I'm a design student, I'm studying design. They're like, oh, what kind of design? Um, graphics, fashion? Um, no, and I can never. I, I guess I haven't quite got the right explanation of what I do because I'm quite kind of early on in my process of being a designer so I don't really know what kind of design I will do or what kind of design I do but um, I just kind of say every kind of design Um, and then that just still leaves people confused so I mean I don't mind leaving people confused at the moment because I'm also confused about it (laughs) so um, yeah just design really yeah. Now I'm worried that nobody asked me if I'm a fashion designer. (laughs) 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 Jeans and t-shirts all the time. (laughs) I'd like to go for the boring route or the pretentious route. So if it's the pretentious route, I'll go something like, okay, it's about shaping the future. And most other disciplines are about studying the past, but actually it's about change and making new things and making delightful things and making the world a better place. Or I'll grab a piece of paper and start drawing them the history of where design came from as a profession and 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 you know, so that you can start to sort of map the differences of that out and try and show them and and usually that that's uh, they regret having asked <laughs> yeah immediately so so it's kind of i don't know it's kind of like annoy people or what i mean what do you do what do you do it's kind of because uh, it's sort of it's it's the, the people who get involved in design are usually quite passionate about their thing so they, they you know it's kind of there's always that tension isn't there between saying too much and saying too little mm. I've heard a little bit of your mini history mm. of of the evolution of design disciplines and you're saying that people regret having asked but I think it's actually pretty good and succinct do you want to maybe give us well, Give a, us a little there's, bit. There's a really early, early version, which is about the, uh, the, uh, the industrial revolution, the relationship between craftsmen and draftsmen, mm-hmm. and it was men at the time. And uh, uh, it's kind of a bit where the kind of the disciplines of making and the disciplines of drawing for making start to emerge, and that mutates throughout the 20th century as as consumer products get started, and and, and uh, it becomes. Post World War Two, you get the domains of fashion and graphics, and you get this media explosion and, and and design for consumption, basically as the forms of white goods and the things that we fill our houses with and the things that we wear start to become really really differentiated and and, and there's, there's a bit there, and I think there's a there's a uh, and then there's a massive thing that happens when uh, I would say it's a massive thing about the relationship between hardware and software that shows up around the mid-80s to about 1990 
And I think that's a big transitional point in how stuff gets conceived of, made, and, and makes its way into everyday life. And us oldies in the room were kind of... <laughs> <laughs> the one thing about software, I, rec- I agree, it makes... It's a big one. You can do stuff really fast. Yeah. That's a huge change, I'd say, in yeah. just how you can explore ideas really fast. Yeah. Although, speaking of names of things, if you don't mind if I do that, right. I, I've just um, taken on a young postgraduate student called Charlie, who um, is a trained product designer now, and he used this phrase today called primitive design, oh. because last week or the week before we'd used just pieces of cardboard and a video to express how we wanted this interface to work, and I hadn't heard that. But that's the kind of design that I really like doing because it's so lo-fi. You don't have to, yeah. you know, it's just cardboard and sharpies and tape and stuff. Isn't that prototyping? Well, yeah, yeah, but that's what. It, but they've, that's, co- they've now called he, it this. Yeah, yeah, it's got a name, which is yeah. He might not have learned that name. I don't know, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. Call it paper prototyping. Paper yeah, the, yeah. Which, which, which mm-hmm. was the kind of thing. I mean, there was a, there's 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 a big thing about 1990, which is, you know, Bill Thing where he suddenly design he's been called in to design a computer and he suddenly realizes that everything he's been working on is a complete waste of time <laughs> because five minutes after he's opened the case of the thing he's going what's this world in here and what's all that about and um, we would have been condemned to work in a profession called soft face design <laughs> if he hadn't had a change of heart and called it interaction design and I think there's a, a personally I always got pissed off in Britain because they always called it interactive design and you don't design an interactive you can design an interaction mm. and and interaction does actually design actually does what it says on the box it designs an interaction and it's something that you can craft and something like that and that was new at the time because it was describing what's how software in use and we needed that in order to be able to explain that we weren't coding it we were producing what it, what it did, what it was for, who it was for, and what it, what it is. It the, so often, I mean, Gil, Gillian, who's my teacher, always said, you know, d- design's core is design is is saying what it is. It's going to be. So, and so it's a very concrete kind of practice, um, that way. But they could, but it's important to be able to talk about it, isn't it? And then hence the naming debate right. shows up. There were people talking about service yeah. in an analogue way. Yeah, yeah. So Bill Hollins and those guys who were very much from the, the sort of old design management world talking about, you know, what a, host, what a hotel does, what a shoe shine does, and what, um, what's her name, the, one, the woman that wrote the paper which had the blueprint in, which was very much about analysing it as a sequence of events and activities, which I think is part of what's blended in now because it's never just digital it's always a combination almost always a combination of the physical stuff that's going on in the real world and the the stuff that's going on in the real digital world so i mean that that's that's shoe stack and then, so those things were happening in parallel, and, and thankfully they, they've melded together now, which in what, what I think is modern service design practice. Mm-hmm. 
but you've just done a talk too, Sarah, haven't you, about the history of this stuff too. Mm. Does it, yeah, does it chime similar. with what you No, want? completely. Quite similar to Nick, starts with the Industrial Revolution and the split between like uh, making things as the artistic craft maker and then designing for a production line and having that consideration. So going through like Raymond Loy, designing fridges, and then the profession, well, I was talking about the professionalism and pro- professionalization of design, you know, as a thing, as a discipline. And then tracking that more to like how it's now everyone is a designer. And so where does that split start to come? And you can see it in, you know, institutes like the Design Council. So started up in, I think it was 1951 and um, were originally called like the Council of Industrial Designers. Mm-hmm. They had like a shop in Covent Garden. I think mm-hmm. that's right. And they were about good taste. Yeah, then. good taste and, and, yeah. and, and good taste and usable stuff and, mm-hmm. and affordable things for the general public because they look at design for good it's always been about design to to better society and improve people's quality of of life and but it was still very physical and tangible and over time you see the design council starting to champion like not just service design but social design as a concept um but explicitly as a as a thing rather than just a general understanding that design is for good i've got certain qualms around that but i think it's a very good movement because it means that we bring back our attention to move from what nick was you know you're referring to is design being applied to consumerism and the rise of it to then saying again maybe we should use these skills to do something a bit better and really think about that so it tracked that move into design thinking um service design systems thinking as well and where and where that goes to um so yeah it's similar history but starting to to look at where you start to open up design for everyone to use what do you think the transition was the aha from that kind of consumer-centred thing to mm. broader systems? So I think it's several things. I think one is the fact that the tools to design and create something have now been commoditized and put into everyone's hands. So even things like Adobe, you don't need to be able to use now to build your own website. Um, you can go into pretty much any local hardware store now and they'll have something that can print something for you or cut something. I think that design has been opened up again as something that isn't something that you can't touch and you can get your hands on those tools and machinery again so it's opened it up and we've, we've we have commoditized elements of design even blocks of code so people can use module bits to piece together what they want whether that makes good design that's a really big question um which we might discuss uh today but i think that it's having the tools available now have, have left that left that open and then also that on the flip side of looking at like what you know government does and a lot of discussion around design thinking as a as a discipline i prefer to think of it as a way of thinking um is because the user experience is everyone's business in an organization it's not just a designer's role to consider designing for experience it's how fast a server runs it's making sure that the finance department is paying the staff and the staff are happy to then deliver that service mm-hmm. so that's i've seen design open up in that sense as a much more open and ambiguous term because user experience is everyone's business. There was a really interesting moment as well in in the Design Council when Hilary Cotton was there and she'd assembled this team of really bright folk, including Jenny Wynne, who was still someone I respect greatly. Um, And what they did was they, they were reframing what design could be from a particular perspective for the red team and that was what they call transformation design. And so that was that seemed to like unlock a lot of stuff, which was like designed to transform things to happen. So not they weren't calling it service design; they were taking a, a, again a different slant. 
And another one thing that I've uh, experienced having been in the States for a few years was, you know, further sort of branching. So it was uh, Parsons. Parsons was doing uh, transdisciplinary design and actually do MAs in that. And then the head of the school of design that we were working in has actually evolved a new method methodology called transition design, which is more aligned with um, transition, mo the transition movement and using transitions designed as an enabler of those kinds of things. So we've got this sort of micro fragmenting as well as all the kinds of things like speculative and uh, the other, the, you know, the sort of more dystopian uh, design stuff too. You can talk in two frames though, maybe. Mm -hmm. You can talk about when you're selling design and you've commoditized it, and then you can talk about what you relate to. I think that's, for me, that's mm -hmm. two separate things. I'm a designer, that's all I am. I don't care what type. When I sell majority of Snook services, although we're not just reserved to service design, it is service design. It's the design of a service. We will help you make that service better. There'll be lots of fringe stuff that goes around that. We will help you make that service better. If we design the poster that goes to advertise that service, we'll get a graphic designer in. So we're very specific about the the action we're using. But I love strategic design as a term. I tend to think of myself more like that as an individual or group of people that can hold the space to ask lots of questions around a thing. And it opens up lots of different questions and you as a team or a network hold that space. So if you're designing a uh, a building. There might be questions about who's working in that building, what their job description is, what uniform they wear. Do we have a brand? Is there a brand for this organisation? Who is the organisation? What's our mission? And you come right back to, okay, so we'll design the building to fit that in it. And for me, strategic design has been a lot about holding that conversation. So I like it as a, as, a th as a way of describing how I think about things, but I wouldn't sell strategic design necessarily, but that might be different for mm. the rest of the so that's my comfort zone is, is as a practitioner is strategic design but for me I see it as big picture small detail and the relationship between the two right across whatever it is you're designing and the, maybe the things that you're not designing but that exist um, and that's what I studied in my MA but I remember coming out of the MA and not knowing how to talk about it at all and having like really terrible conversations with people because I didn't hadn't yet developed the the language with which to talk about it and even now I think I trip up if truth be told and I'm curious what you guys um, think our project the financial inclusion project which is the subject of this podcast would you call it I've been calling it service design and actually the impetus for me having this little discussion is part of me doubts well am I calling it the right thing is it really strategic design that we're doing or is it transdisciplinary design or something else um, so I'm curious uh, now that we've opened Pandora's box of different names, what would like you call it? I think we're in a, in a kind of a, a frame of searching for the opportunity spaces in that domain or context of stuff and rummaging around in it at the moment. So, uh, I mean, uh, I've strategic design activity yeah. is to define those opportunities. And if there was a client, we'd probably be saying it's a service innovation exercise, mm. and there are potential service innovation possible because the likely clients would be already operating in the financial services domain, and so that means that you don't have to explain a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so often using the language of it's uh, part of a strategic design technique called building the receiver, where you 
use the language that they're likely to use and you need to build. Right. If you're making something new, you need to build something to catch it. Right. Otherwise, it won't be caught. And, and so there's, um, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff around there. Right, and if you're not using words that people understand, why would they ever yeah. buy what you're selling, yeah. right? There was a philosophy called user-centered design as opposed to systems design because it was it, at the time there was a, a wrestle with engineering-led descriptions of the world. And the way my tutor Gillian Crampton-Smith described this to me as, as is engineers build things from the inside out and users experience them from the outside in. And so that shift in perspective was really key. And that's when the light bulbs went off and I went, oh, everything's been built back to front. That's why it's all shit. And probably still is for the majority of it. And then, so what do you do about that? And, and they explicitly borrowed a whole bunch of techniques, craft techniques from filmmaking and animation and if you like writing and theatre uh, uh, and time-based media ultimately which is personas, scenarios and storyboards. So the idea of personas was picking up, bringing characters to life in the room about who you were designing for specifically. And um, so for instance the Macintosh was designed around a secretary called Sally. <laughs> Uh, that Bill Verplank made up when he was at Xerox Park. Um, then scenario techniques, which were about describing the context in, of, of life in which this proposed system might live. But the real, the real breakthrough was storyboards, which is a time-based media technique. And you do little cartoon storyboards of the sequence of things that happens. And suddenly you could reveal the interactions without having to code them. So you could speculate about them in storyboards. You say it goes like this, it goes like this, it goes like that. And that I mean, that was invented by the Disney's in in 1940s or something. But by repurposing this technique, and and that was an anathema to engineering. You're drawing these little story. What the hell are you doing? Drawing. There's a storyboard. That's not a. That's not a layered software architecture systems diagram. That's not a entity relationship thing we've never seen. Why are you drawing storyboards? And what is a storyboard? And shows and they were intrigued, but it was very difficult to embed it into the industrial practice at the time. It was kind of seen as like these wacky people coming in doing I think the web really changed that too actually, because you didn't have to package up the product into a box and it wouldn't be bought and then never supported again, you know. You could literally change it within moments of realising you made an error. Okay. Like, um, I used to work at Flickr, this photo sharing thing, and um, we used to actually have quite a lot of fun because in the early days we could deploy the website as often as we wanted and I think that's why a lot of people watched what we were doing. You know, as well as the photographs, they could also see the interface moving around. And there was, I don't know, Shocking. I don't know if you saw it, but at one point there was a photo on the left-hand side and all the metadata on the right-hand side. And one day I'm just like, oh, I'm just gonna 
switch those around and then we deployed it and then shit got really weird everybody's just like what did you do oh my god i can't believe you changed it like that you know my world is broken mm. but anyway was microsoft couldn't change a feature in one well, no yeah that's right they, 20 billion people worldwide coming down on them like a ton of bricks yeah I, I mean that's i think there's really interesting implications about just speed of movement of producing things and you know that's that's why i like it so much working on web stuff is because you can just fix things if it doesn't work or you can ask somebody do you understand this and if they don't then you fix it that's been a really influential i think right across design as well yeah. that notion of perpetual beta yeah or, and just not having to fill in chips before you can make a change. Yeah. It's and interesting, and like I, Lily, I'd like to hear from you about like what mm -hmm. kind of things, you've just started your course, right? So you're learning all these different things that are being thrown at you as workshops, and what we've all talked about, no matter how we describe ourselves, is a common set of value, values and thinking about how we consider stuff, like what's the context we'll be used in, who is it for, empathy, the journey of the thing. So what in this new course that you're doing at Goldsmiths, like what are the things that they're throwing at you to kind of learn really quickly? So we're quite encouraged to always consider political, ethical and um, critical standpoints on whatever we do. So even if that's drawing or quite simple basic methods of generating ideas or um, you know developing a project, we're always kind of told to be grounded as to why we're doing it and what the context is and what the implications are on people and futures and narratives. So um, yeah, they kind of they kind of want to teach us as designers to really consider um, context and and be quite political and, and maybe be a bit controversial and and not not always question why we make every decision we do and everything has to be kind of have some kind of narrative or or be there for a reason and we have to make those choices. You know, there's a great book by Ezio Mazzini um, that's just come out that's called um, What is a Designer When Everybody is a Designer? And the introduction to the book talks about the fact that designers and the discipline was kind of there to solve a problem, whether it was the problem of selling something more or the problem of communicating something better. But the design brief was always quite specific from a client's perspective to question one or two disciplines. And kind of in the 50s and 60s and 70s, you saw things like the design research unit come together. So people became uh, more multidisciplinary about what they did to attack a problem. And now what's really interesting about these kind of courses is that you're seeing is we're training designers to consider more of just the systemic like landscape and context to design for that and actually way before the client is ready to commission that because we can't commission that we're still commissioning in a department by department organization by organization sometimes government by government perspective but we're training designers way beyond i think what's ready don't be scared i think it's brilliant mm -hmm. but it, it there's that's a real juxtaposition there of of, of what's happening. So that book by Ezio Mazzini really questions that if, if we're ready and what what kind of briefs are we, we answering to? And that is that, I don't know, transdisciplinary or strategic or whatever design, but it's something more than people I think are ready to, to commission. Mm. Yes, I'm not a transdisciplinary fashion designer <laughs> who works only at strategic level. <laughs> I'm noticing a, a pattern in the conversation where it seems like a lot of us are talking about 
designers having this tendency to want to always zoom out a layer and go bigger and continue to ask why. And you know, if you're given a building to build, zoom out and say, well, let's look at the system of city streets. Or if you're given an interface to design, you zoom out and say, let's look at the whole network community and the service that this interface is a part of. Um, would you guys agree with that and say that that's true? That's the nature of the designer to always Absolutely. ask why and step back? Well, you know, old joke used to be, you know, does it have to be a light bulb? You know, do you, want to, do you want to tell that old joke for people who haven't uh, heard it? The old joke for people who haven't heard it is, how many designers does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is, does it have to be a light bulb? And the reason, the reason for that is because... <laughs> Because we do. Question. George hasn't heard the old joke. It's <laughs> <laughs> my gift, George. Thank you. And the reason for that is because designers need to question the edges of that stuff because actually it's part of good work in that you're you're exploring what the requirements are that even they might not have written down, that even they might not have, have thought about. So that's why you go out, that's why you go more systemic, because you go, well, what, what world is this thing a part of that it therefore needs to take into account to make sure it fits that world? Whatever. You, know, you look at the sort of service design work that the GDS of the, uh, has been working on, and it's, you know, their basic goal is to make using that thing more pleasant than using any other thing. And then, you know, you can't be a jerk if you're going <laughs> to... In that context, you have to make it um, efficient and, you know friendly but not too friendly because it's governmental but you know mm. it's I love all the stuff that came up around copy as interface and tonal stuff and all that but, but they, that's, that's why I said right at the start and I was a blog I read by uh, government digital service that the user experience is everyone's business and so they've got yeah. they've actually now clarified their design disciplines within GDS to be like service designer uh, interaction uh, content graphic design so they've now codified the disciplines because as an institution they need to need to understand that for the wider system that they work in but they've understood that they all need to work together to ship that user experience for everyone mm. it's interesting from the perspective of looking at what the the service design team like do there in terms of what their role is and they probably would struggle the most actually to integrate and fit in with other teams in comparison to all the other disciplines because it's quite easy to go to someone and be like, right, we need to make some new content around carer's allowance. And we understand from the discovery research that we've done and the user needs and the personas to some extent um, that people, you know, think about their finances on a month by month basis, not quarterly. So can we write content around that? And you get it. Mm. The service design bit's so really hard because it cuts across everything. And I'm always really interested again in questioning why is it that service design has so many questions around it as a discipline like what is it that people can't get their you know their their head around but it is because it cuts across everything it's not easy just to say design that thing but what they do do well and and coming back to you know your question around like does every designer go macro do they always question but what i love about designers that i see across every discipline is that they they still take the design decision they still come back to making a decision about what needs to happen. Well, what I know about you as well and the way you work is also you are very supportive of the, the nascent service designer in your client mm. and you help that grow in them and you encourage that in a really, I mean, and I hope that translates into business yeah. you know, and usefulness in that kind of way, but I know you absolutely target that as 100%. well. 100%, you can't 
go in. I'm very critical of service design as a consultancy model. So I'm ironic because I'm a service design consultant and run a consultancy that does that. So, so give, away give away everything, mm -hmm. counteract it. We train the staff we work with. We look at the organization. We go and do lots of archaeology, figure out who's running what in the, in the system. And we build the right, we try our best anyway, to build the right models inside the organization to make sure that the knowledge that we surface, because we do user research and in the service design piece, comes together and that they're with us the whole journey because we want to step out. I don't want to be helping every organization we work with continuously design their service. It's too expensive anyway, um, but it's important that they do it themselves. A, a service is great if the organization is great. I'm really curious to know, Lily, um, so something that about your profile that like really stood out to me is um, your program is called post-disciplinary. And here we're talking about graphic design, content design, interaction design, service design, but you're sort of here representing perhaps the next generation of designers, and your program is simply called design. So do you think this is where design is going, and what in this conversation is standing out to you? Um, okay, so I think for me, um, being post-disciplinary as our course is kind of designed to be is about kind of coming together as a collective to take action on the world about things we might disagree with or thinking of new ways to be designers and maybe even if we end up trying having to apply for a job as a as a graphic designer it's about getting into an organization and trying to change things or or making our own studios and then kind of um flipping design on its head and you know just doing things differently so, yeah I, th I think for me it's been a bit weird because you've all come from this kind of a lot years of experience in a commercial setting so for me it's like um, I've seen designers can be quite um, a critical and um, maybe experimental field but obviously there's more realities to that you know people have to make money and people have to actually pay the bills and and that might that might result in compromising how you are as a designer just in order to live but there's still that kind of area of design that people exist in in a gallery space or kind of alongside art and architecture and being really kind of controversial and critical and speculative which is quite a big area of design at the moment but obviously it's harder to kind of pay your way doing that so it's a good you are yeah I always suppose, unfortunately yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of weird thinking about the future in terms of what kind of designer I might be or me and my peers like what what will it be like will it will we still have to kind of compromise on what we want to do just to make money or Will we find other ways? I don't know. Something that you said um, a few minutes ago that I really love is coming together as a collective, yeah. as being inherent to the way that you work or maybe the way that you're being taught how to work. Um, maybe that's another big shift in the field of design is moving from individual you know, do your work, put your head down to coming together as a group, coming together, maybe seeing the client as not an outsider, but someone inside the process and deserving of being trained and 
um, less of these divisions. Mm. Yeah, um, I think we've been t told to completely reject the idea of being an individual, well, not being an individual, but this individual standpoint with design, because obviously kind of thinking on the history of product design, there's been these kind of design heroes, like these white males who are these big, like um, influential people who produce these things which then makes a name for themselves. But for us, it's now about kind of actually grouping together and kind of being a collective and working as a, a culture of designers rather than trying to push us as just selling our brand as a person, more about just working together and like taking action. Thank God for that. Yeah. Mm. That sounds great. Because mm. <laughs> when we got trained, it, they were people had this like secret notion that they'd get discovered yeah. as this great talent, and they could be like Jonathan Ive or whatever, you know. And and it it turns out there's only like two or three of those positions available, you know, every ten years. And so most people had to sort of like, hang on there's some really interesting stuff to do and the, the, some of the problems are much bigger than any of us can actually achieve on our own and so that collective way of thinking is so important and, and I cannot stand the, um, the Steve Jobs worship stuff because it's also fake and weird um, <laughs> and unrealistic and it's because yeah. their products don't work from one person. It's again, it's the, the user experience is everyone's business. Right. It's the technical architects. It's like the, the the way in which the manufacturing process works. It's everything. And yeah. I'm really pleased to yeah hear that the course is celebrating that. But I think I think it should push further though than that as well. We should not be thinking about just multidisciplinary work and 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 groups of people working together, but actually going beyond just saying what studio will we go into or what design job is going and work for the NHS like go and work for Citizens Advice Bureau go and work for the government like go and work for Skyscanner go work for you know Apple go work for local council take design into the heart of those because that's where they need it you know the most is in these kind of institutions and you'll probably not be called a designer you'll be a service delivery manager mm. but you'll be designing or you'll be uh you might be like, I don't know, the finance director. You're just really good at maths, but you can understand how to actually fund things in a different way. If the job is inventing the future and setting up situations whereby you can start to frame, shape, craft the future, then you've got a never-ending mutation of practices that are about shaping that. And they might be defined by their purpose or their medium or their role within a particular organisational, they become particular rather than these generalised industries of the past, if you like. So they become you know, post-industrial. Design, a generalised mutation of practices about shaping the future. <laughs> Did I quote that you, correctly? Please do. <laughs> <laughs> if that works for you. Or just making shit better. I mean... <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Like, get up every day and stop worrying about how you do stuff and who you are and just focus on making shit better. Mm. That's yeah. my mantra. You worry about who you are and what you do when you have to convince someone to let you do it if they have the power and the control. But just get up and make stuff better, I think, is the best 
way to think about Especially it. Especially the power of hiring other people to join in <laughs> on a team on what you're doing, yeah? Yeah, paying your advice. So it's almost like HR is the ultimate design power. <laughs> procurement. Yeah, procurement. I was slightly worried the other day because I've, I've actually got a team of three designers and we just hire in engineers. I was like, is that too many designers? And I'm like, no, nah, it's not enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. We just need more. Because it's, like, it's a way of thinking, like what you said at the beginning, Sarah, you know. I've got the way I talk about design with my clients and then I've got the way that I like to practice design, you know. And it's just a way of thinking. Oh. I'd like to be able to do any kind of job. Oh. It'd be really nice to take on a really weird job that's not, yeah. not in my bag, but I could, I feel like I could do it because I have the tools at my disposal to understand a problem set and understand that micro, macro view, you know. I'm not saying I should be bloody person no, or whatever. I have a practice, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think we all do. Uh, like, okay, let's just lay everything out, let's understand the problem, let's get it all, you know, and then let's rearrange it to make it better, yeah. I think that's, yeah. A bit. Well, move the pieces around. Sometimes they say, you know, art is about asking questions. And that's a nice way to, I like to think about art that way. But design is about finding an answer. You know, you it's not about just making stuff. For no, for no reason, it's got to have a purpose. It's funny, um, I'm quite a modest person and I'm quite, um, I'm, I don't normally shout a lot about myself and what I do. But the one thing I'm actually arrogant about is what I think I can do with design. I think I can do, I can take design into so many things and do stuff with it. I've got absolutely 100% faith in that, in being able to do that. Whereas other things, I've got self-doubts and stuff like that. But as a designer, no doubt whatsoever. Still experience the fog, as we have been on this project. Yeah. But I feel totally arrogant as a designer. I know this shit, I know how to do it. Point me at it, let me go. Sometimes don't even pay me, I don't care. I'll still get in there and do it. Um, just one more little rant. The, I'm interested in what you said about who makes those decisions. Part of doing this project on financial inclusion is we have no client. No one tells us it's this shape or this part. And that's been a total delight to actually look at what is the power structure within this system as it exists and why have these things not changed over the years? Why are pe poor people still paying the poverty premium? Why is that still going on? And how are they, how are, are banks and gas boards and everybody allowed to get away with it still. So it's really great to be able to do a non-client based project uh, that's sometimes too open. I mean we've found that sometimes we're, we're swimming a bit and stuff like that. We're looking for different things to grab a hold of and make meaning from. But I'm so glad we've done this just for that experience of going right I'm looking at this, this stuff will invert, we'll look at these parts. We think you know, this part is specifically broken and that's our, in our gift because we can do this. I mean, we, you know, really bad moment in our company's history to do something that's not paid for, but hey, you know, we're here and we're doing it. And we will continue to do it until we can find some sort of resolution on it. But it's been really great to not have a client for just once. <laughs> you know, just to not, you know, and actually to assemble our stakeholders ourselves 
put them together in a, some kind of constellation and then maybe we start to attract some really great talent that come to work with us on it. But we talked about right at the start about design strategy and we've got two friends at the moment who left uh, a service design firm and set up their own company and now call themselves just strategists. Mm. They're both designers, mm -hmm. they call themselves strategists and they've gone into some of the biggest financial insurance institutions because they're being hired to help figure out stuff that's unknown, but they're not being hired to solve an existing problem, which is where design fits. And George, you talked mm -hmm. about, and I love that. I've been, I've, we've been having many drinks discussing this, thinking, what if we just called ourselves strategists? Would our life be a bit easier to work on the bigger macro picture of the stuff we want? And just today, I was talking to someone on the phone about our project, and. Um, she was like, I just want to confirm. So your project, is it is it just about um, the way that things are communicated, like ad campaigns and posters and things like that? Or is it about the actual services? And we had to go back and forth like once or twice. And I was like, no, no, no. It's not a graphic design project. She's like, oh, well, just because you said the word design, so I thought it was about like posters mm -hmm. and stuff. But the yeah, but the design, the, so the design bit in it, and I think I've heard this round the table that countless times. So trying to find the kind of the, 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 the existing themes is that you go right down to the granularity of the detail, the minutia, to come back to the strategic thing. If that's, you're still going to deliver the strategic thing, mm. I'm still sketching what the final thing is and what it's called and what it looks like, but I might not deliver that. And it comes down to the it. button that says, "Okay, let's do it." Mm. In sort of George's sort of soft human sort of form because you've decided that that's that's how it works it helps you it helps yeah. you think through form i think through form i always have mm -hmm. done i think all of us probably do in some uh some way Absolutely. but i'm really i'm just really interested in that that strategy space from a, from a practical thing was i mean ido situated themselves around innovation design so ido is innovation design engineering organization so they yoked together a bunch of staff in order to put this proposition that was centred around user-centred design. If you like Live Work, who sort of promoted themselves as the first service design agency, found, I mean, Chris talks about being invited in, Chris Downs talks about being invited into different conversations if they talked about service design versus service innovation and about what level they got commissioned at by framing these conversations and then they started to talk then they started messing about because then they started talking about innovation as research versus design as strategy and they started to try and explore where those conversations would take them sort of almost explicitly as experiments to see where they could find the most impact or most leverage points or whatever like that and mm. I think it's um, it feels like design has got into a more sophisticated conversation where it can start to go well actually we don't even need the D word mm. I'm a little bit jealous of the, your, your friends that have yeah, called themselves strategists and then made it work oh, yeah. I mean yeah, well, so I would have thought strategies yeah. everywhere yeah and anyone can call them a themselves you know service strategist design, you know critical design strategist we could all do that but it doesn't mean we get employed does it <laughs> or, or, I'm totally jealous. I am so jealous too. I am so jealous. I mean, to say, does it work? They got through the door. They're struggling a little bit now with the bureaucracy, but right. they <laughs> were just like, oh, we just, we just do, we do strategy. We just help them take the next step decision. I'm like, do they actually have, you know, kind of tables with like 
you know, chess pieces that they move. <laughs> okay, if yeah. we if we put the um, <laughs> catering department <laughs> across the river, we need a bridge. We need a bridge. <laughs> so, I, so I came out of my design strategy MA, right, and I thought, right, I can do this stuff. You know, I've studied it, did a really good thesis, got a great grade. Went and got an, uh, an interview at Accenture. Went into Accenture, assuming it was just a normal job at Accenture, and they wanted me to do the fucking graphics. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I've, I've had a complimentary experience in that, which is working in a design agency who didn't get it, where where I came in and they went, uh, you're the strategist. I went, great, okay, right, so we're going to do some prototyping craft. And they said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm prototyping a thing. And they said, oh, no, you don't do that. We've got people to do that for us. They, they, they do the pixels. Presentations. We need yes. you to have some big thinking and be a thought leader and go on, you know, and I'm going, but I can't have the thoughts if I've got no mm -hmm. pixels to play with. How am I going to, because of what material am I going to use? Hmm. And that was a bit of a journey to realise how strategy was conceived of as a, as a particular role that wasn't a stitching together a big picture and a small picture. Mm. It was in some kind of hierarchical weirdness. And mm. um, yeah, I don't think I've recovered from that. Like you haven't recovered from doing mm. no. PowerPoints by McKinsey's. You know. Cambridge yeah. I was similar when I went into Skills Development Scotland as a service designer. Oh yeah, didn't I, they get you to... I made PowerPoints look nice because that's the only thing people could grapple with that I could do because I was a designer, capital D so, design. Mm. And, but, pretty. yeah, pretty aesthetics. But I rolled with it because I knew the way in which to start getting an influential role at, and at my level inside the organisation was to make myself useful. So I made the stuff look nice and I asked them what was inside the PowerPoint. I was like, well, that's interesting. You're trying to track sixth form levers and how you actually get them to come back into skill centers. It looks like we're not doing very well because the percentage is really low. <laughs> yeah. Boom, down the way. So has anyone mapped what that journey actually is? So I went and found the team and then said, okay, let's map it. And no one actually had a consistent viewpoint. So then I went around trying to figure out what that journey was. And then said, well, this little touch point here seems to be the biggest fall off point because no one's actually capturing the details before they leave the school. <laughs> so what's their, what's their mobile number? Who collects that data? So how did you learn the art of that practice? Just made it up. Right. Just nobody taught, I studied product design and we got given in our third year before I had the opportunity to go to Skills Development Scotland. We got this like whack service design project and I was like, what is this? I've just been making bike stands and coat hangers and um, loads of us took like a duck to water to it because we employed all the same skills we used to design a coat hanger as we did going and investigating an entire organization. It was, well, how do people use it? How do people use a coat hanger to hang stuff up? Well, how do people use the skills center? Can we record them doing it? Sort of, ethically, kind of followed them around, figured out, talked to people what didn't work, presented what didn't work in a compelling way, because you always use photography or video, um, visualised the structure of the organisation rather than an Excel spreadsheet, um, drew storyboards that we talked about earlier about how things might be better, prototyped the solution, and we just used all the skills, exactly all the skills we used. And so going into an organisation, the only thing you had to learn as a designer was how the bureaucracy and the system works and blend as a chameleon into that 
the rest was kind of just a natural inclination to want to figure stuff out and make it better and keep asking all the right questions, you know. So design is just natural at going into those environments. It's just design for capital D as a discipline feels a little bit uncomfortable and being dragged into it. There's, and there's a deep precedent for that kind of stuff. There's, there's, there's a bunch of 1970s kind of cybernetics-influenced artists called the Artist Placement Group. Mm. And uh, it was... Oh, I've forgotten his name now. Sure, Brazil was one of them. David Toop was one of them. But the idea and the idea of artistic residence actually, residencies actually came out of that. And the, the notion was the artist is an incidental person who's attached to an organisation to kind of do something weird, document it, pretend to be part of it, mm -hmm. change it. And because they had no hierarchical power within the organisation, they were forced to do something strange. And so, you know, there was one guy, I think he was, he was embedded in a ship, and he invented an entire system of epaulets that gave him different degrees of authority depending on what kind of shape of epaulette he did during the day and who could talk to who. And what he was doing was he's trying to expose the internal communication systems of a rigid hierarchy, which is kind of ship kind of thing, and almost celebrate it and take the piss out of it at the same time. Um, and, you know, a lot of the different artists did a bunch of different stuff, but what they were doing was they were saying, how do you reflect an organisation to itself to see where the, the where the acupuncture points are and identify where they are? And you're going, you know, you know, you could just you could just put a stick in there and just go wiggle, 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 and you would, yeah, you know, All what would happen? What would happen? You know, have you seen that? You guys are very chatty. I've been, I've been, I've been trying to, I've been trying to find an acupuncture point to, to, to bring the conversation to a close. But no, it's been great. We've talked. Oh, definitely. We can do more. Not names of things, though. You okay with that? Well, I think what I'm taking away from this conversation is that really the names don't matter. Would would y'all agree? More or less. Yes. Yeah. I'm a bit battle scarred from four years at a design council, mm -hmm. where every almost every meeting or every event would start with, and now we're going to talk about design. Mm -hmm. Now, what do we mean by design? <laughs> and that used to happen almost every day. Mm -hmm. So I got a bit. I have a bit of an allergy. <laughs> When it comes to talking about what is design, it sort of brings me out in spots and, <laughs> and, and cold sweats. But only because of that, that time, I think it's really interesting to, to chew it over. I think you spot a great, for me, you spot a great designer when they talk about the thing that they made, not the discipline that they were that made it, because they probably made it with 20 other people. Mm -hmm. And all of them will talk about that one thing. Mm -hmm. That, for me, is really, really important. And that transcends any discussion about process, tools, or oh. discipline. Mm. They made a thing, it works, and people love it. That should be what matters anyway. I think that's a great place to end our chat. So that's the end of our talk. What I learned ironically from this whole thing is that actually names don't really matter. Like Nick said, they're tactical. You use the name that makes sense for the person you're talking to in that moment. But the work is always the same. Empathetic, human-centered. It's about helping people and just improving things. Like Sarah was saying, just make shit better. That's what we do. Who cares what we call it? 
Our next episode comes back to the story of the project itself, designing services for financial inclusion. We'll talk about the interviews we've done and hopefully start to discover some patterns and opportunities. That is all coming your way in two weeks. Hang tight until then. That excellent theme song you just heard is by Rob Roosley. Rob also does our ad music that plays at the top of every show. Thanks, Rob. This episode used one sound effect from freesound.org user Herbert Boland. And thank you for listening. I'll see you in two weeks.